Welcome to Integration, a program focused on emerging ideas and pressing issues in Christian education and academic disciple-making. I'm your host, Aaron Lumpkin. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with Dr. David Dockery. Dr. Dockery currently serves as the 10th president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He also serves as Distinguished Professor of Theology, Executive Editor of the Southwestern Journal of Theology, and Director of the Dockery Center for Global Evangelical Theology. Prior to his work at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, Dr. Dockery served in a variety of leadership roles. He served as the 15th President of Union University and the 15th President of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. In addition, he has served as President of the Evangelical Theological Society and as Board Chair for the Council of Christian Colleges and Universities. He's a well-accomplished author and editor of numerous books and publications. He's regarded as one of the recognized leaders and senior statesmen in the world of Christian higher education, and he currently serves as president of IACE, the International Alliance for Christian Education. Dr. Dockery, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. It's a joy to be with you today. It's our very first episode, which is a a whole lot of fun, so we're excited to be able to explore of the landscape of Christian higher education yes. with a variety of scholars and leaders. So it's a joy to be with you on this inaugural voyage. There. Yep. So thank you for, be, for thank you for your time. Thanks for jumping in with us. Uh, before we jump in and talk about IACE uh, and the landscape of of Christian higher education, tell me a little bit about your calling to hmm. Christian ministry, to vocational ministry. Help us understand David Dockery, the man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you know I, I've been doing this for a while now, by the grace of God, but. When I was a, um, between my sophomore and junior year at the University of Alabama, uh, I was involved in a parachurch organization, and that organization was holding a summer-long institute for uh, biblical studies. So I went and attended that. First time that I'd ever really studied the Bible seriously. Okay. I mean, I was privileged to grow up in a Christian home, knew the Bible stories, but to actually study the Bible inductively and try, try to figure out, you know, what it meant then and what it might mean for us or have application for us today. Very, That was the first time. Also had a course in uh, Christian doctrine and a course in Christian apologetics, and I fell in love with the whole thing. Yeah. And I, when it was done, I fell on my knees and said to God, if, you know, if I could have the privilege of studying the Scriptures and teaching them to others— the rest of my life, you know, I will serve you gladly and faithfully. And I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. You know, I was 19 years old and thought, you know, it might be being a teacher at a Christian school or being on staff at a church or something. I, I couldn't see very far at that time. Mm-hmm. I just knew I loved studying the Bible and it was something that was transformative for me. I couldn't get enough of it. And so I uh, was called to serve on a church staff shortly after that and served as a you know, student minister and then was led to go to seminary. Went with fear and trembling, uh-huh. you know, not knowing if I could, you know, handle the Greek and Hebrew stuff. And uh, <laughs> I'd heard all these horror stories. Uh-huh. And, uh, but I, I loved that opportunity, loved studying theology and then my wife thought I loved it too much because I kept going to school for, you know, a long time. But she's been the greatest cheerleader I could ever hope for uh, in, in that regard. But 
along the way, I had a faculty member or two say, you should think about teaching, you know. I think you could be a faculty member. Now, I'll never forget that and always be grateful because I really never thought of myself in that way, mm-hmm. but they provided that kind of encouragement. And sure enough, the Lord led us that way. When, when we graduated from here and I did a couple of other degrees, then I went and did a, uh, served as a pastor in Brooklyn, New York, okay. and was there for three years, which oh. was wonderful cross-cultural kind of ministry mm-hmm. and enriched my own life, much less my understanding of, of ministry. And then I was called to teach at a college and served at a college for a little while. They went to Southern Seminary, taught there and served as a chief academic officer. And then, as you said, went to to Union University, and that's mm-hmm. where the leadership opportunities yeah. uh, really came. Uh-huh. So amazing. it's been a great journey. Yeah. I'm 40 years now in the work of Christian higher education. I'm grateful to God for each one. That's a, that's a, that's a long, faithful, faithful journey. Yeah. And uh, I hope you'll spend some time at some point writing and encouraging us on how we, how we make it last 40 years. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a hard thing to find nowadays. And I didn't know you were in Brooklyn, New York. So you would, did you overlap at the same time as like Jim Cimbala? They were just getting started. Getting started. Okay. Yeah. Great. So I was at the Metropolitan Baptist Church. Okay. It was a, originally a, you know, it was a new church at the time, uh, seven years old when we went mm-hmm. and uh, now about to celebrate its 50th anniversary this year or may have just celebrated its 50th anniversary but it's still serving faithfully yeah. there in that that's in that uh, context praise the lord it was an amazing thing for us it was a you know my wife and i are both from alabama okay so here we are in brooklyn new york this you know could <laughs> very different we, we could have gone overseas <laughs> and found a more uh-huh. you know, <laughs> greater cultural affinity in many ways <laughs> But it was a multi-language, multi-ethnic congregation, and wow. it was uh, it was it was, just, it was fantastic. God used it in our lives, I think, more than He used us in theirs. But we 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 were always thankful that we had that opportunity. Yeah, that's fantastic. So uh, right now, we mentioned uh, just a second ago that you are serving as president of IACE. Uh, it's a newer uh, partnership organization, uh, very collaborative work with a lot of institutions. Tell us, uh, how did IACE begin? Yeah. Where did this c- come from? Oh, well, there are some conversations that had started probably 2015, 2016, something like that, of some schools wanting to work more closely together, mm-hmm. finding ways for colleges and seminaries to work together. Uh, because for the most part, uh, Christian higher education, as I have known it over these decades, has stayed in its own silos for the most part. Bible colleges over here, mm-hmm. you know, K through 12 schools over there, gap year programs here, uh, Christian liberal arts colleges over here, mm-hmm. seminaries over there. We all knew each other, respected each other, but never did yeah. much together. Mm-hmm. But as some of the cultural challenges came, particularly on the other side of the Obergefell decision in 2015, mm-hmm. I think several of us realized we were going to need to join arms together, yep. not just to address a singular cultural issue. That was not the purpose, mm-hmm. but to realize that the things were changing around us and that we needed to get to know each other, learn from each other, figure out how we might collaborate together eliminate some competition 
yeah. and, you know, create better opportunities of cooperation. And those were just intended mostly as kind of uh, informal professional development okay. conversations. Let's just learn from each other. Mm-hmm. And so some of us got together. Uh, one meeting was in Dallas. One meeting was in Chicago. One meeting was in Nashville. Yeah. There was a meeting down in Atlanta. So just wherever we could find a place to talk. Uh-huh. And 25, 30 people would show up at these things. And okay. It was it was very helpful. But in 2019, March of 2019, at the Nashville meeting, uh, Luther Whitlock, who was former president at Reformed Seminary and the former president of the Trinity Forum, okay. was in the meeting. Mm-hmm. He said, I have profited from these conversations. I think it's time for the talk to stop. Let's move on with uh, organizing this into some kind of concerted effort, or I don't know that it's worth us just coming back to talk. Mm -hmm. Well, well, that kind of caught some of us by surprise, (laughs) but he was right. You know, let's, let's take what we're doing and make it broader and invite some others to, to join us. So we met again in California in the summer of 2019, about 35 people, and uh, voted, let's do something. And out of that came a, a, a decision that uh, Ralph Inlow would help put a board together. Mm-hmm. Ralph Inlow had served for 10 years as the president of the Association of Biblical Higher Education, ABHE. You okay. know, we use all these shorthand terms and confuse everybody, but uh, he had served there for for 10 years, and before that had been the provost at Columbia International University for almost two decades. So, yep. In South Carolina. In South Carolina, mm-hmm. and so had been a, a leader in the Christian higher education world for a while. So he helped put a board together, and that board met for the first time on August the 8th of 2019 and asked me to serve as the founding uh, president. Which I was delighted and happy to do, um, and I think it, you know, those thirty schools that originally just came together uh, said, "Okay, let's see if we can find a few more to officially launch this." And we'll start January first. We applied for, you know, our five hundred one c three status and got all of our government papers in place. That took to the end of the year with the aim of getting started by. January 1, and the hope of finding a few more schools who would be charter members. And so we launched with 50 charter members in January the 1st, which was, uh, I think, a surprise to everyone and a blessing from from God. And so we held our first conference in February of 2020 in Orlando, Florida, and had a good turnout and lots of excitement. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think what excited people was the connecting piece. Yeah. And I think it is what holds us together. It mm-hmm. makes us different than some of the other organizations. And so we want to support any of the other organizations that are supporting Christian education, Christian higher education. We think everybody's doing something well and doing kingdom work. We want to be cheerleaders for all of those things. But a uh, few people are trying to connect K through 12 schools with gap year mm. programs, with Bible mm-hmm. colleges, with Christian liberal arts colleges, with seminaries, and say, "Okay, let's all learn from each other, 
here under this big umbrella of Christian higher education. So I think the key word in our name is alliance. Mm -hmm. It creates these alliances and collaborative uh, connecting uh, opportunities that I think have been beneficial for just about everyone who's participated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. I think you've already, you've even spoke to it already a, a bit, but describe for me the mission and vision. Obviously it's, it's a, it's designed to go from, from K through 12 plus on all the yeah, way up to PhD undergrad, graduate, doc, postdoc, things like that. And so with that framework in mind, what are some of the big ideas behind the, the mission of what you hope to see through the Alliance? Yeah, well, I think uh, the, 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 the key thing is to recognize we're less of an organization and more of a network. Mm. Um, and so our, our goal is not to build a large staff with multiple programs mm-hmm. so much as it is to find, create partnerships and find people who are doing something well and then bring others in mm-hmm. to join us in, in doing that. Yeah. So a couple of examples. Uh, the K, some of the K-12 through schools said... One of the biggest challenges we have is uh, getting people coming in, whether it's teaching third grade or seventh grade or 11th grade, uh, to, to be able to articulate Christian worldview things in very basic terms. Mm-hmm. So we went to our friends, and uh, some of our partners are not even degree-granting institutions. They are people committed to intellectual discipleship who want to yeah. work with us. And so we went to the Colson Center okay. and said, you know, you specialize in Christian worldview uh, ministry. Let's see if we can connect you here. And so we started some uh, faculty development programs for elementary and, you know, secondary and primary level uh, teachers at some basic worldview things, not mm-hmm. advanced courses, but, you know, very thoughtful ways of helping them think yeah. about these things. So, you know, one of the things we could have done was to go out and hire a person who's a worldview specialist, raise some money, put them on our staff, and then uh-huh. we develop a program. We decided to do something else, and that's the way we've tried to do everything. So our student programs are done in collaboration with other uh, people. Our international programs are done in uh, consultation and cooperation with the International Council for Evangelical theological education, they're focusing out there, Mm -hmm. but we help them connect, you know, with some North American things. And so that's been a good mutual partnership. So I think the key for what we do is creating a a network, partnerships, collaborative opportunities, being an alliance that is international and is very intentional, Mm -hmm. very intentional about the Christian aspect of Christian education. Yeah. And so that's where we put our efforts. And so our mission statement says that our goal is to uh, unify, strengthen, and synergize the work of Christian education at all levels, mm-hmm. all sectors, you know, in all places. And so that's what we're trying to do. Yep. And by God's grace, for four and a half years, we've made some pretty significant progress, I think. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And for anyone that's listening, uh, Lord willing, uh, this is an opportunity for them to, to see how they can build relationships with IAC. You bet. To, to get connected, to be equipped, and to see uh, the Christian aspect of education from any level, how that can f- be further advanced and developed 
in a variety of ways through partnerships and things like that all around right. the world. We so. would invite them to join us for our annual meeting here in Fort Worth, February 7 through 9, 2024. It'd be a good way for them to be introduced to the work. Yep, that's fantastic. Well, the hope of this, even this podcast a bit, is um, to help us on help others understand the, the value and the vision of Christian education at, at all levels and to continue to foster that, that partnership uh, that we can see people glean from what others are learning and practicing in a variety of sphere, spheres from uh, K through 12 all the way up to graduate, postgraduate, um, that these resources that we uh, provide through the podcast would just help further enable them in that work. So. We're thankful that you spent some time with us to help get this get this started. As you've thought about the the alliance and some of these partnerships, you just described for us a couple of ways that you see things playing out uh, on the landscape. Um, how have you seen God work specifically in some in some other ways through the alliance? Obviously, the the course for uh, cultural engagement is a is a, I think a huge win to say the Lord's been working in some particular ways to connect those dots. Maybe what are a couple other ways that you've seen the Lord working through the yeah. alliance? I think I think there have been four or five ways that I think have really risen to the top of okay. the various things that we have done. I think one is uh, create uh, partnerships among the presidents and senior leaders of institutions for them to get to know each other, mm -hmm. to learn from each other, to be able to, you know, not just see each other occasionally at some happenstance meeting, but to create real uh, deep friendships. Uh, and those become very valuable in those kind of senior level mm -hmm. roles when you need to talk to somebody about something off of your campus. Yeah. And, uh, so and there's few people around the country and even the world that understand, understand. that dynamic that's and right. that relationship, right? That's right. Uh -huh. And so I think that's been uh, extremely uh, valuable. Second thing, I think, is as we talked to the presidents, we said, what's the one thing we could do that would really help? You know, we can do a lot of things here, and we're, and we're trying to do several things, mm -hmm. kind of next generation leadership things. We do some board development stuff. We do some student programming. They said, what's the one thing that you can do? And they said, faculty development. Mm. Help us, you know, prepare faculty, equip faculty, especially those newer faculty coming in from secular PhD programs mm -hmm. uh, who can come into our kind of context and understand what we're doing. And so we've given a lot of effort and attention to doing faculty development for yeah. the past four years. And I think it's really paid off. Uh, bringing people here from various contexts, small schools, large schools, mm -hmm. you know, urban schools, rural schools, some denominational schools, non-denominational schools, having some international presence here. All that variety, I think, has been uh, incredibly rich. And it has helped us learn about best practices going on at other uh, places. I sure. think some people who were here you know, this past year heard the presentation from Biola about what they're doing. I think we all said, well, that's a, some things there from which yeah. we can, uh, yeah, we can learn the kind mm -hmm. of team teaching efforts and then the things they do for new faculty. But we've had some of that from, you know, different schools who've kind of brought to the table, here's an idea, and you go back and you take it to what you're doing. And uh, the campuses that have come have gone back and sometimes started faculty development programs on their own 
campus mm. trying to replicate what was done here during yep. our summer conferences. And so I think I think those have been uh, extremely uh, valuable. Thirdly, I think we've created partnerships uh, with other parachurch organizations, some denominational entities that are very interested in Christian higher education or Christian education, but you know that's not their primary calling. But they come along beside us with commitments to whole life discipleship or mm-hmm. intellectual discipleship, things like the Colson Center or the ERLC, or the Southern Baptist uh, Convention or Summit Ministries or some of these kind of uh, entities, even the International Mission Board, mm-hmm. um, saying we would love to help in some way if we can mm-hmm. and learn from you and you, you know, how can we contribute? So I think connecting Christian higher education with these other organizations has been a, a real strength because, frankly, the Christian world's far too siloed, and we just, yep. you know, and we duplicate effort, and we go, mm-hmm. to, we go to the same donors asking them for money if we can say we're working together. Boy, that's a, that's a much better stewardship yeah. of things. And so we're trying to be good, you know, model good stewardship in, in this process. And so I think there've been a variety of things, but I would put those at the, yeah. at the top. And I think it has uh, paid off on multiple campuses. No, I think, I think that's, that's exactly right. I, I've seen that in our own institution. We've brought a number of faculty members to the, the faculty development conferences and we're in the process at Missouri Baptist to develop a first year uh, onboarding process for new faculty members to help them understand what is the integration of faith and learning how do we practice that at our own institution and pulling resources that we've gleaned from conferences to other resources that we found through other partnerships that we have with institutions that are connected to IAC mm-hmm. has allowed us to really make some advances in that. Yeah. And so I think that's, you're exactly right. And I, th- I think, uh, you know, we, out of the faculty development conference came the idea for the journal. Mm-hmm. So we had this online journal now called integration, uh, the a, a journal for faith and learning. So we really are trying to be intentional about helping people see how the Christian faith has bearing upon our calling as teachers and as staff members and particularly as students and bring the whole process uh, together in more intentional Christ-honoring ways. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, you, You alluded to this a little bit earlier when we began the conversation, but what are some challenges that you see emerging in higher education and particularly even Christian higher education that uh, we hope that the partnerships through IACE and the relationships that are built, that we can really deal with some of those things or at least prepare for some Mm -hmm. of those challenges. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that, uh, as as I mentioned, I've been doing this for a while now. (laughs) And for over these 40 years, I've seen a number of challenges come. Sometimes they come and go but sometimes they come and stay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never seen a time like the current in which we have so many at the same time. Mm. And so we have things coming at us uh, from the culture, particularly related to um, human sexuality and mm-hmm. it's just kind of the whole postmodern uh, menu of things. We have things coming from the government, mm-hmm. uh, particularly those who are recipients of Title IV funds and how do we deal with some of the various issues 
there. One of the things we do is partner with the Alliance Defending Freedom, Religious Mm -hmm. Freedom Institute, both helping us think about strategies for addressing some of the legal and governmental kind of things and make that available free to all IEC members, which I think is an incredible service. Yes. your membership dues don't come close to paying what that <laughs> those costs, legal fees can that, be. Yes, that, right. that in itself, uh-huh. so you know that that's a great uh, uh, benefit. The, the the economy since two thousand eight two thousand nine has been you know not necessarily on our side. Mm-hmm. We had some wonderful years there, and we all kind of got accustomed to some growth years that uh-huh. don't appear much anymore. So we're you know, having to be better stewards of our finances and yep. try to think about uh, ways to to do that, which I think lends itself toward collaboration and finding ways to work together on things. That's a big step because, frankly, the whole higher education world is built on competition, and we mm-hmm. you know we recruit against each other for students and yep. you know for donors and friends and space and place and different accrediting roles. And mm-hmm. so the more collaboration we can encourage, uh, the better. So I think culture, government, legal, financial, denominational, we're in the midst of what many people are calling the great de-churching. We're going to give a lot of emphasis to that conversation at our forthcoming uh, meeting in February. February. Okay. And watching these trends are happening in the church, you can't help but have an impact on us, you know, the de-churching and the rise of the nuns combination, you have a shrinking uh, high school demographic during the 20s, the, the, you know, the decade in which we mm-hmm. find ourselves. And, and if that uh, group is, as they say, among 18 to 25-year-olds, a third or more are belong to the religiously unaffiliated, they're not a part of church in any way, and that pool just got a whole lot smaller. Mm-hmm. So how, how do we deal with that? How do we relate to, to churches? How do we strengthen our relationship with churches and, you know, win their trust? The history of Christian higher education is unfortunately the history of schools falling away from the Christian faith and from the churches. I mean, That's right. Since Harvard in 1636 and Yale in 1701. So this is not a new phenomena. That's right. It's just been the sad story how do we so how do we encourage institutions to remain faithful and to remain connected to the the churches is i think a, a vital uh piece and, and then the the whole intergenerational uh issues that exist on all of our campuses mm. so we have uh, these you know millennial students you know, and there's some new staff members who are gen zers and and then we have some, you know, there's no re- mandatory retirement age anymore. So we have people in their 70s and 80s serving at this institution where we're sitting, sitting today. Mm-hmm. And that that's covers the waterfront in different ways people think about service and work and, you know, processing things. And that's right. Media and social media and technology. And, and then we've got the whole issue of artificial intelligence associated with technology. It's another issue we'll speak about in February. So they've got a great lineup of things coming in February. So I hope some people want to join us to uh, 
think with us about these things, but you just think about that full plate of uh, issues that uh, leaders and faculty leaders are trying to wrestle with at this uh, key time, and it makes uh, faculty, Christian higher education quite challenging. But uh, I'm not, you know, depressed or discouraged about that. Uh, I, frankly, I'm more hopeful than I have been because what I think it has done is cause most schools to take a step back and say, who are we? Mm-hmm. You know, what's our reason for being? What's our mission? And how do we accomplish it? Uh, and how do we stay focused on those things? That's right. And I think IACE has, has attracted a lot of schools who are asking those questions. And so we have very large schools, some schools that are, you know, the kind of the household brand names mm-hmm. in Christian higher education. And then we have some schools that people haven't heard very much about. They are smaller. They are in more rural context. But they're just as serious about their mission and serve an important constituency. Yeah. Uh, where they are, and so I think bringing people together like that again is part of the genius of the alliance. Yeah, I think it highlights for us uh, just the the intentionality of focusing on the Lord's kingdom and how we yes. encourage each other in the process of that. And I think one of the things that I've observed in Christian higher ed is it, it can feel isolating at times, even when there's frankly, a lot of it across the country that we can look to and think through all the resources that are available. There's books being published all the time. I mean, we've got so many resources, but nevertheless, we we need the relational component. We need the encouragement to, to press on and to stay faithful in the things that God has put before us. And so I, I found IACE to offer so much of that. And so I'm thankful to the Lord for that. As we think about obviously current challenges, um, what are some opportunities that you see that lie before us in Christian higher education? Well, I think the uh, opportunities to be at the um, uh, intersection of the faith and learning conversation Mm -hmm. is vital for us. It is essential that we are there. And I think that, you know, is number one. A, A part of that is recognizing that we're not doing something new and that we are actually seeking to reclaim and renew the great Christian intellectual tradition. Mm-hmm. And it's a rich tradition of, uh, frankly, that many people uh, don't know very well. So if we can help people learn those resources, I think they are stronger for the task to which they're called. And so we want to be a part of that reclamation mm-hmm. process, you know, re re, re looking back in order to look ahead and do so in, in stronger ways. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful for uh, churches, church leaders, pastors, who are once again seeing that Christian higher education, K through 12, Christian colleges, seminaries, can be partners with them uh, in, in the work. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think bringing churches into this conversation is an important thing. Some people question the particularities of a book that was written about two decades ago by James Burchell, the former provost at Notre Dame University, called The Dying of the Light. 
And I think you can quibble over some of the particularities, mm-hmm. but his overall thesis is right. His overall thesis is that the, the light on Christian college campuses begins to die out when schools begin to separate mm. from the churches. Mm. That's the subtitle of the mm-hmm. book, The Dying of the Light, colon, The Disengagement of you know Institutions from the Churches. And I, I think that, so bringing churches with a fresh commitment to mm-hmm. Christian education, and I'm seeing some of that, and I'm encouraged by it, and I'm very hopeful how, how that's going to you know play into our future. And I suppose the fourth thing I would say is to, to for particularly for our North American context, or probably those who will hear this podcast, uh-huh. is to you know open our eyes to what God is doing globally. It's an amazing thing, particularly in the global South. And so I've had the privilege to speak at campuses in you know Asia and Australia and the Middle East and Africa and Europe and see what God's doing elsewhere. And go to a place like Uganda Christian University in the heart of Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, 11,000, 12,000 students, a strong institution doing everything from certificates wow. to PhD programs. Amazing. And uh, just making a real difference for the cause of Christ right there. Some very solid faculty members and uh, scholars, uh, you know, there. Uh, a, a, a school that if it were here, we would view it as one of the you know, premier schools mm-hmm. in North America, and people here don't even know about it. Yeah. And there are several schools like that on, you know, around the world. And so I think recognizing, particularly in this day of easier communication, travel's not easier so much anymore. It's <laughs> quite a, frankly a big hassle, but <laughs> nevertheless, you can get from, you can get there from here. Uh, and to recognize that those can be our partners in this work. Mm. Too, And so that's one reason we decided to use the name international at the beginning of uh, our, the name of our work, because mm-hmm. we really do want it to be an international work and not miss out on what God's doing yeah. globally, because mm-hmm. we think it's valuable not only for us to know about them, them to know about us, uh, but us to learn together and hold mm. hands together as equal partners. Mm-hmm in this journey, and uh, I'm very excited uh, about that. But if we can recover that that, uh, vision for Christian higher education, the great tradition, see what God's doing globally, and recommit ourselves with intentionality to being Christian and all that means in the work of Christian education, I think we can be very hopeful about the days to come. You've been listening to Integration, the official podcast of IACE. Learn more online at iace.education. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of Missouri Baptist University, a Christian liberal arts university committed to training students to shine on in St. Louis and around the world. To learn more, visit mobap.edu.